Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away, let me speak for the love of God! If ever there were an episode made just for you, Ben, <laughs> this might be the one... Would you like to swap chairs and take over? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the captain now. <laughs> of all the shows we've done, this has by far been the most difficult for me to prepare for. Uh, every week we talk about movies that made us and all that kind of stuff, but we never really talk about those made-for-television movies that that formed such a big part of our, our youth. Yeah, like it, it's an amazing thing that these movies were made, were watched when you're supposed to be doing something else. Yeah. Like any time the cricket got rained out, I just bang on a TV movie. <laughs> any time that you're like, oh, I've got this homework to do, oh, but what's Ivan Hutchinson presenting? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll just watch this. <laughs> I like mean, unintentional. There was at least a decade of my youth where Saturday night meant like two things. It meant watching Hey Hey It's Saturday on Channel 9 whilst recording The Wonderful World of Disney on Channel 7. Oh. Right, and that's where so many of the great made-for-TV movies came from, as far as I'm concerned. I didn't, I, you know, like I knew that they were all on Wild World of Disney, but it, I, I had no conception of like running time, like that these yeah. movies only went for an hour <laughs> rather you, than an hour and a half. I love that you said Wild World of Disney. Yeah, I sort of I always, <laughs> yeah, I always I, in my head it was always Wild, Wild World of Disney, even though it's the Wonderful World of Disney. But um, <laughs> little spies, little. Little Spies. Treasure uh, of Matacomb. Mr. Boogity. Oh, not quite human. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, what was that? Fuzz Bucket. Oh, Splash 2. Um, <laughs> yeah. So many. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Boogity had a sequel as well. But they... Um, We're going to hear all about that later. Oh, okay. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, see, I... Like, and I didn't... And I didn't even... I didn't... I haven't... On my list... On my list of films to talk about, I, I purposely steered away from those. But I didn't know because a lot of them... Like... In my head, it's mixed up. Like some I saw on TV as part of that, and yeah. some some I saw by borrowing them from the video store, mm-hmm. and just not and going. Oh, well, that's the thing about the the magical or slash wonderful world of Disney because it did have two names. Uh, the quality of them were like theatrical almost, like they were yeah. actual movies, you know, real fucking movies, you know. <laughs> yeah, like you know, hundred percent they were they were legit bits. It's weird because a couple of the movies on on my list are British movies. Yeah, and the Brits really nowhere near like the Americans really kind of discriminated against t- made for TV movies. Like they were less than their mm-hmm. theatrical counterparts. Yeah, yeah. And the Brits like, embraced it. Embraced it, and like totally, and like a lot of the films, some of the stuff that I'll be talking about, are legit. They made they made for TV. But they also made because they knew they were going to be picked up 
internationally and shown theatrically. And some of them like were Oscar nominated and all sorts of stuff. Do you remember uh, Frankenstein's Baby? No. <laughs> or Berners Genie? I do remember Berners Genie. <laughs> Frankenstein's Baby had, um, is it Nigel Planner? Is he the guy from The Young Ones? Who played yes, um, the, the hip Neil? Yeah, played. It was essentially Junior. He got pregnant in the film. And it was, you know. <laughs> anyway, anyway. You know, I feel a little bit guilty for dropping the F bomb during that Disney discussion just a minute ago. No, that's where the F bombs belong. <laughs> well, now that Disney Plus has all of the bloody, you know, rude stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Was it, what's, what's it called? Star? Star. Star. Is it Star? I think so. <laughs> Anyway, you have to, you know, the hoops I had to jump through to be able to access it, like the <laughs> proof they required. I'm like, to watch the perfect storm. Oh, so you watched it? No, I didn't. Okay. No. That's just well. the only one I could remember. Was I watched um, Unstoppable. Yes. Or was that on Binge? What a banger. No, I think it was on Disney Plus. Well, there you go. Well, suffice to say, this episode's for you, mate. Yeah. And you know what the funny thing is, though? I do have like one, one kind of hallmarky type. You're saving One. your Hallmark for the Hallmark but episode. I did not do it. Like, there were a ton of them, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to. No, this this is going to be a, a special, like a Christmas. <laughs> yeah. A Christmas or slash romance kind of TV movie. You know thing. it I'm is. I'm going to talk about these films. Well, anyway, to all of you listening, howdy, and welcome to Good Movie Monday. We're something like seven minutes in, so I think it's about time I should welcome the people. <laughs> Uh, we are the weekly movie podcast presented by FakeShamp.net, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran, and if my story were to be told as a telly movie, I would be played by Ryan Maloney. And uh, <laughs> the other voice with me, um, the, the other voice that's not in my head, that is, is Ben Helwig, whose life might have been portrayed by Brian Dennehy if he had his way, but ultimately, road trip era, Ethan Suppley. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm good. I've never, never in my life I've been able to see the sailboat in one of those paintings. <laughs> I, I just want to preface that by saying that uh, that was your joke, not mine. Yeah. <laughs> well, now actually, now that I think about it, I actually think it's probably, it more should be the guy who plays the villain in uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, the bike, the oh, bike one. The, yes, Mark the, Holton. Is it Mark Holton? And yeah. he's also, I think he's also in... Gacy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's, that's right. He's, he's John Wayne Gacy, and, and so is Dennehy, funnily enough. He's Francis. But he's um, also, I'm pretty sure, is he the, is he the fat guy in uh, No Retreat, No Surrender that Ooh, gets um, I think so. the main guy in trouble all he the time? He was in Leprechaun, and like, he, yeah, this, what a, yes, yes. Like that's the guy who would, who would totally be, except he's got, a, he's got a rich and full head of hair. So that yep, today's show is all about tally movies, you guessed it, uh, from the highbrow classics like Spielberg's Duel to Killdozer, <laughs> and the lowbrow oddities like uh, Knight Rider 2010 and Identity Theft of a Cheerleader. Some, there's some doozies out there, Ben. Yeah, Identity Theft of a Cheerleader. <laughs> Man, this, But I'm a cheerleader. This sucks so much because we're limited on how many we can talk about when there is so many that I want to discuss, mm. but... um. Bill and Bill on his own, for example. I've got both of those on tape. I did not like. In the, I found that the biggest, the biggest surprise I had while researching this for this episode was the amount of films that were t- made for TV that I didn't realize were made for TV. Yeah, because here they all just got released on tape. Yeah, that's right. And you just like I didn't know the difference between I didn't know that that one was made for TV and that one was made for theatrical, like. You know, and because we were behind the eight ball from America, you just assumed well that one got fast track to video. You know, yeah, that's right. 
And would I be stealing your thunder if I said Degrassi schools out? Is that on your list? <laughs> no, it wasn't, okay. no. <laughs> There's so many. But, uh, you know, I can totally understand why he was fucking Tessa Campanelli. I just want to say that. <laughs> Caitlin's great. <laughs> yes. But, uh, so was Tessa Campanelli. <laughs> Uh, we also have our stable of weekly segments from Jarrett Garn from Monster Pictures, Gemo Troncoso from Screen Realm, Adam Ross from Triple M, as well as an exclusive Bonehead fun size segment from Joe, Chad, and James from Bonehead Weekly. Um, perhaps, perhaps you're new to the show, and if you are listening, thank you and welcome. And you can find us wherever you do get podcasts from. Just type in Good Movie Monday to the search bar. You can't miss it. The content you are looking for cannot be found. Your fingers are too fat for your keyboard. Well, we are here to discuss and recommend a bunch of made-for-TV movies. Let's get the ball rolling with one each. I'm going to go first, if that's okay with you. No. (laughs) Well, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody loves A Christmas Story, right? I wonder how many people know that that, the Bob Clark classic, had a film after it that wasn't My Summer Story. I did not. (laughs) There is a made-for-TV sequel called... Ollie Hopnoodle's Haven of Bliss. And it is wonderful. Are you sure that's not a porno? It is wonderful. It's a joint project. Uh, it's between the Disney Channel and PBS, and it continues the story of the Parker family um, when they go on a road trip to a, like a, a summer lake in Michigan. And um, they're actually... Who, hang on, who played Ralphie in this one? He was an older Ralphie, 14 years old. It was Jerry O'Connell from Stand By oh, Me wow. and Sliders. Fat, fat Jerry O'Connell? Or he was, was he my superhero skinny he Jerry was, O'Connell? In between, right. he was leaning down. Um, but the the old man... He was just growing out of his puppy fat. That's he all. was, exactly right. But the old man was played by James B. Sicking, who I know that you would have a, an affinity for. The dad from Doogie Howser and, yeah. and, funnily enough, the assassin. And he plays from, a fantastic uh, father in this one. Like, he really adopts this role perfectly. And the mother is played by Dorothy Lyman. And this is essentially... Oh, also, um, Gene Shepard, who was the, famous for the narrator... Of mm. Christmas Story. He returns. He's the writer. He does narrate this one. So it very much feels like... All you need is his voice and it's a sequel, you know? Yeah. Um, but it feels very much like a family version of National Lampoon's Vacation. That's kind of the gist of it. So it's a road trip movie. Are you saying that the, the vacation movies weren't family movies? <laughs> no, the first one definitely wasn't. Nor was the second. Well, the Christmas special. Look, Rusty. No I <laughs> think he's going to bonker. Uh, but yeah, look, I'm a big fan of the series because there were many more to come, like um, obviously Summer Story, Christmas Story 2, which had Daniel Stern, which was kind of average. But PBS ran a whole series of made-for-TV versions of this stuff as well, with Gene Shepard writing and narrating. And they sort of never got uh, any attention. It's this one, <laughs> Ollie Hopnoodle's Haven of Bliss. It's the fucking hardest title to say. I ask again, are you sure this isn't a porno? <laughs> Actually, and speaking of uh, vacation, I want to just side note here for a second. There is rumoured to be a made-for-TV version of the Vacation series, as in National Lampoon's Vacation, starring Gary Cole and Helen Slater, and directed by uh, the guy that did uh, Dumb and Dumber 2. can't remember his name. Troy Miller. So, if anyone out there has ever seen it, it is on IMDb, like, listed. It's uh, Apparently, there are stills of it somewhere online, but there's never any... Proof no that footage. it exists. No, no. And uh, I've noticed over the years, the running time has gone from like 110 minutes and now it's listed as a 14-minute film. I don't know what's going on. 
just the audition. It's called American Adventure. The test. It is like a TV version of National Lampoon's Vacation, and it was supposed to be an entry, a pilot episode to a th- to a TV series. Yeah, right. Anyway, so that just came to my mind when I said vacation. <laughs> Fuck, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> well, funny enough, my first film is so well. I guess it, like I, f- I feel like it's completely opposed, like diametrically opposed to what you've just said, but it kind of isn't. It's um, Secret Weapons from 1985. I don't know if you remember seeing this. I saw this on TV. I don't know it. At the time. I don't think it ever got a VHS release here. Um, it did get a DVD release in the US. I don't know if it ever got one here. Yep. But it, it's, a, it's, it's really good. It's directed by Don Taylor, who uh, was the man behind The Final Countdown and uh, Damien Omen 2. <laughs> and a fuck ton of TV movies. You're right. I did a bunch of them. And it's basically Sally Kellerman, TV movie stalwart Sally Kellerman and James Franciscus. And I think this might have actually been James Franciscus's last movie. I'm not sure. But they play uh, KGB colonels in charge of recruiting and training uh, beautiful young Russian women uh, to be as one sleazy kind of general in charge of the project calls them uh, American Beauty Rose. Which <laughs> uh, <laughs> is basically, it's basically. Battle of the Bulge type spies designed to infiltrate uh, America, yeah. small town America, and they do all sorts of kind of training exercises and stuff. So they pretend to be, you know, college girls and stuff. <laughs> uh, Linda Hamilton, and Linda Hamilton is like when I was like I'm researching this episode, she did a fuckload mm. of TV movies early in her career. Uh, Linda Hamilton plays Elena Kozlov, uh, who's the most promising girl in this kind of current crop that they're training. Um, although she has been led to believe that she's there to be trained as an interpreter. And she's this kind of small town, like, like kind of girl who lives like far away from, Mos- like never has never been to Moscow or anything like that. Just lives in this kind of yep. small little village with um, her grandmother played by uh, Vivica Linfors from Stargate mm-hmm. and stuff. And it was actually funny enough married to Don Siegel for a while, just as a little uh, aside. <laughs> um, and so it's not long until Callerman has them eating hot dogs with their hands and drinking water at the dinner table instead of vodka. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, then all the girls during the during the course of their training, all the girls are divergenized for the state. Uh, and there's this great James Franciscus delivers this great kind of ask not what you can do for your country, <laughs> or ask not what your country can do for you kind of speech to convince her to go through. And these like they have this it's this kind of um, they don't. They don't know it. They get to this. They're told that they're the boys from neighbouring because uh, it's only girls in this yeah. kind of academy. The boys from a neighbouring academy are going to come for a dance, and they're basically told, as when the boys arrive, that hair up and fuck them. Ah, <laughs> and they're like, go. if you can't handle this, it's time to leave. <laughs> it's like a reality you, show. You really set this one up like something completely different to where it ended there. Like, <laughs> oh no, but this is. I mean, it is made for TV, so <laughs> no, I, but I, you set it up like it's this really serious kind of thing, and then. Uh, it, like that? Yeah, My no, goodness. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's great. But so um yeah, so of course Linda uh finally gives in and does bang the guy and it kind of they kind of this thing kind of happens to her throughout where she's asked to you know, <laughs> at least she, I don't think she has to go through with it again, but she's kind of said, you know, multiple times it may happen like during on, when she goes on her little kind of missions and she she uh, they send her to Moscow. By the end, once she completes her training, she goes to Moscow and attends university there yeah. and meets visiting Americans 
and like one of them, I think is Scott Atkins plays one of them. Scott Atkins. Scott Atkins um, <laughs> Excellent. I'm in. Uh, no, what's his name? Um, Christopher Atkins. <laughs> oh, damn it. Slightly different. Scott Atkins' dad, Christopher Atkins. Uh, and he's like this, you know, kind of pot smoking, kind of rich, rich kid kind of dropout. Yeah. Who, um, but his dad runs like a microchip company, and the K- and the Russians want to use their missile, their microchips on their missile guidance systems, and so they plan to. They Linda Hamilton helps them helps the KGB bust him smoking pot and put him in prison, <laughs> so they can blackmail the dad. And it's really. It's really quite entertaining. Like, and the Gina Davis, a very early kind of appearance for Gina Davis, pops up as one of the other girls, like, the, you know, and is friends with uh, Linda Hamilton. Um, the idea for this movie actually came from a book. Like, it, it's not based, it's not, like, taken from the book or anything like that, but yeah. the idea was came from a book called Sexpionage, <laughs> The Exploitation of Sex and Soviet Intelligence. Uh <laughs> It's uh, as far as I can tell, it, it did get a DVD release in the US. It's quite, um, it's it's easy to get that DVD on, on eBay, but uh, pretty difficult to get it here. But it, it, there is a okay copy of it on YouTube. Fantastic! You Sounds pretty it. risque, and you know, Kellerman complains about mash, you know, sexualizing her and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus, why wasn't she well, complaining about this one? The, yeah, <laughs> well, she's the one doing the exploiting. In oh, it, and that's all right then. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Sounds like flirting meets top secret. Yeah, and then at one point, like there's this scene, one point where they make Linda Hamilton strip in front of her class because, you know, like you... As you, you know, do. You need to be able to... If you're ashamed of your body, then yeah. we've got no use for now you. Now it sounds like the meaning of life. Like the thing that doesn't really make sense in the movie is that once, like they go through their initial levels of training and she still completely believes she's there to be an... She wants to be an interpreter. That's what she wanted to do when she was in high school because it would get her to Moscow yep. and she get to live in the big city and experience things and then once it becomes clear that they're being trained for something else she's like okay like she's okay with it but then they keep threatening like you know maybe this isn't for you if you're not willing to strip naked if you're not willing to screw these guys never once does she go yeah okay i'm just gonna go back to i could still be an interpreter like they make it sound like you'll never be an interpreter if you don't do this far out well, um, add that to your list, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> we do have uh, we have more to talk about, but let's let's throw it to Jarrett. And if if Jarrett's life story were to be adapted into a movie of the week, he'd be played by Skylar Gisondo. <laughs> His joke, not mine. Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. Now, it's a big week for home entertainment, and it might sound odd because there's only one distributor releasing titles on home entertainment, and that distributor's Roadshow, and all the titles they're releasing are actually Warner Brothers titles. So let's kick it off with their biggest title this week. It is the behemoth that is Godzilla vs. Kong. It's coming out on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray, and DVD. Now, the 4K Ultra HD has Dolby Vision, HDR10, and of course, it's got some Dolby Atmos happening on the audio right there. As far as special features go, there's a commentary track and 10 featurettes, and those featurettes explore every facet of production you could imagine, right from the effects of the film through to the lore and mythos behind both uh, Godzilla and Kong's universes. Then, to tie in with Godzilla vs. Kong, Roche are releasing Gareth Edwards' Godzilla on 4K Ultra HD locally for the first time. It ports over all the legacy special features from the Blu-ray, but now it includes HDR10 and a Dolby Atmos track. 
Then also out from Roadshow from the Warner catalog is Judas and the Black Messiah. Yes, the Oscar nominee for Best Picture is hitting Blu-ray and DVD. Unfortunately, the release is a little lackluster, but it's a direct port of the US release and it only contains two featurettes. Seems like a pretty missed opportunity and those two featurettes run at less than 10 minutes apiece. Then the last release that I'll discuss that's coming out from Roadshow this week is Tom and Jerry the Movie. Yep, it's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD and the Blu-ray is loaded with special features, but I won't go into them because it's Tom and fucking Jerry. Then lastly, before I finish my segment for this week, I thought I would quickly discuss a recent international release that I'm really excited about, and it's from US boutique label Vinegar Syndrome. If you haven't heard of Vinegar Syndrome, you can atone for your sins right now by jumping on the internet and looking at vinegarsyndrome.com because these guys are the best boutique label out of the United States. While they may not release the most highly regarded films, they put the most amount of love and attention into their releases from their 2 to 4K restorations through to their special features through to the packaging on these releases like the slipcases and box sets. It's just astonishing. Vinegar Syndrome are incredible. They're doing the Lord's work. And they've just released this box set, Televised Terror Volume 1, that consists of three made-for-TV thriller-slash-horror films, and it is stunning. I mean, you've got three films that range from 1978 through to 1990, and those titles are... Are You in the House Alone, which has a very young Dennis Quaid in it from 1978. There's The Calendar Girl Murders, it has a young Sharon Stone in it, and a not-so-young Tom Skerritt, because that guy's never been young, from 1984. And the last film in the set is Child in the Night, that features a very young Elijah Wood, and again, a not-so-young Tom Skerritt in that movie as well, and Joe Beth Williams, I might mention, is also in that. And that one's from 1990. Now, I've watched two of the three films so far. I've watched Child in the Night and Are You in the House Alone. Both look incredible. I mean, it's just amazing. I know that these films obviously were shot on film for television, but I just couldn't imagine them having looked this great. They're just amazing. And in terms of special features, you've got Amanda Ray's weighing in with some essays, and of course she is the go-to person when it comes for made-for-TV movies. So this is a great set that you can pick up at vinegarsyndrome.com, and I'm sure it'll be available at the mass merchant retailers like Best Buy, Amazon, wherever you import your Blu-rays from from the United States soon. But in the meantime, only available at Vinegar Syndrome. So that's it for me for this week. And until next time, stay physical. Well, there you go, Ben. Godzilla vs. Kong. Add that one to your collection. <laughs> oh. Done? Done. <laughs> Thanks, Jarrett. Love your work, mate. Jarrett runs the social media pages for Monster Pictures and Monster Fest. So go find him there and engage and, um, and yeah, annoy him. I've got a I've got a grouse one for you now, Ben. Do you yeah. know the uh, the director Edwards Vick? He's the guy that made yeah. Glory and uh, Legend of the Fall and Last Samurai. Didn't he do Shakespeare in Love? Is that him? No, no, no. But his first film was from 1983, and it's called Special Bulletin. Have you heard of this one? No. This is taken straight out of the uh, the playbook from Orson Welles when he did War of the Worlds, and it was a live, fake live broadcast of a terrorist attack in Charleston, South Carolina. And so it's presented by newsreaders at the desk, cut into live action on the scene. And it's fantastic. Like, I was surprised at how effective it was. Like, it actually feels real. Yeah, legit. You can see little bits in there that, you know, okay, that's very scripted, but mostly not. I will say that the one, not the only, but the one area where the Americans really excel at that we have always sucked at here is... News within films? Yeah, 
yeah. news and news reporters. And that's and because stuff. over there it's so damn scripted. Like it is yeah. really fake over there that it's easy to fake. Whereas here, it's, there's a little bit more. You know, I won't say credibility, but there's a little bit more realism I mean, to it. Well, my thing is they just never spend the budget on it. Like they never yeah, have. Yeah, like, true. It's never like an opaque bit of glass with people working behind a newsroom or anything yeah. like. It's always yeah. in like a, a plain background room. It's got a cardboard a, wall behind them or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like it always just looks really. Yeah. cheap and shit for sure like they don't have a good uh, like a kind of a, a funky desk yes or anything that they you know and they sound like actors yeah yeah although occasionally remember you'd have movies i think it was like malcolm where you'd get the real news readers to do it yeah. and they'd use the real studio that was good that was always good yeah yeah but this one it, it tells the story of a um terrorist who are actually former government nuclear scientists who um they they what is it they have their own atomic bomb on a boat and they threaten to detonate it if the US government don't hand over all the nuclear warheads because they want to dismantle all of the arms across the world and clearly government don't negotiate with terrorists it becomes glaringly apparent in the end that they actually do have a bomb that is going to go off and then it's the whole scramble of what's going to happen and imagine sort of fail safe and that sort of dread that you feel in that you know blend it with that war of the worlds kind of thing and it's just really tense Ed Flanders is in it uh, Catherine Ned Walker. Flanders. <laughs> Hardly ho. <laughs> Hardly ho, government, government <laughs> <eerie> knows. <laughs> She's going to blow. <laughs> uh, Catherine Walker, Christopher Alpert, um, David Clennon. Uh, Lane Smith is the only familiar face there for me. I do like Lane Smith. Yeah, he's good. But Harry he was White. my problem in it because he is good in it. But it's at the same time, like, I recognize you. So yeah. clearly this is a very staged thing. But um, look, it is effective piece of storytelling. Uh, it did have a VHS release a while back, but um, you can find it easily on YouTube. It's a very clean copy on YouTube. It's you know, it's it's well worth the look. And apparently, when this went to air, the network uh, let them do this production on the proviso that after every ad break, they would have to remind the audience that this that is dramatization. Yeah, oh, they don't want to cause panic, and but, Americans are idiots. But I tell you what, it would have caused panic if they hadn't. If they had, yeah. Well, and it's it's part of a like a string of like pretty pretty kind of scary and good kind of nuclear themed yep. made for TV movies. Like I think the day after, which is I think the most popular yep. TV movie ever made. And the British, they did, they had threads. Yep. That was a similar, which they kind of presented as a, almost like a doco or the yep. threads is it threads is, is weird. Cause it's, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's like a more like a kitchen sink drama with a, <laughs> yep. the nuclear Holocaust going on in the background. Yeah, there were a few that followed as well because there's one called World War Three, I believe, and I can't remember the other one. Red but Dawn. Yeah, no, but I mean, I'm, I'm talking about I'm talking about the the live broadcast ones yeah. where you know it's happening in basically in real time. In real time, yeah, because yeah. it did when Orson Welles did War of the Worlds, that did cause a panic, and that did not have a warning. Yeah, yeah, that that's I think where the networks were worried that you know, I mean, even though it's happening, like it's odd that this. But they are presented as news cut-ins. Yeah, more terrifying on radio in those days than what a television broadcast would have been. Mm. Like, just because, you know, you have no point of reference here. We can't see what's happening. We're yeah. hearing what's happening. Your imagination must be conjuring up the worst things. Yeah. Well, that's... In, I mean, what was that? There was that TV show. I can't remember the name of it, but... Um, uh, who's that? What's his name? Johnny Depp. The Johnny, the guy that looks like Johnny Depp, but isn't Johnny Depp, is in Scream and stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um... Skeet Ulrich, Skeet Ulrich is the yeah. star of it, and Gerald Mc, Gerald McGraney from Major Dad is <laughs> plays his dad, and they're in a. He comes home to his like small town kind of roots after being away for ten years, and then like just 
off in the distance. They see the mushroom cloud go up yeah. and then all communication is completely cut off. <laughs> and they're like, I don't know what's... Made for TV, Johnny yeah. Depp. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. This is the TV version. <laughs> all actors have a TV version of, uh, of themselves. Oh, anyway, I've rambled enough. You're on. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, the next one I want to talk about, uh, it got released here... Uh, on VHS um, under the title The Watcher. Uh, it's from 1986. The original title uh, was actually called is actually The MacGuffin, um, which is actually quite appropriate when I tell you what it's about. Mm. It's a um, it was originally it was an episode of this program in the UK called Screen Two, mm-hmm. which is basically a British anthology series uh, of one-off kind of TV movies that aired on Sundays yep. from 1985 all the way through to 1998. Uh, and there was actually, there was actually a sister series called screen one. Funnily mm-hmm. enough. And this is before, cause you know, before phones and stuff, cause now that phones are considered the second screen, <laughs> but um, I guess to TV, whereas in that stage, TV was the second screen and uh, the cinema was the main screen. <laughs> That's true. But um, yeah, this, so this episode was called the MacGuffin. Uh, and it's a movie about a Hitchcock-loving film critic mm-hmm. played by Charles Dance who uh, spies a- an argument between two women in the flat across the street while he's kind of perving at people out of his uh, window. Uh, and it turns out that one of the women is actually like a transvestite slash rent boy. I don't know, can you say transvestite anymore? Well, Trans. You, you just did. I just did. Um, That's our last um, episode anyway, so yeah, keep so going. <laughs> the boy, uh, on the side and he's like hiding from some kind of you know nasty men because he has some uh pictures of a politician doing sexy things to uh young men uh, um well and this guy of course he gets bumped off and yeah charles dance um kind of tells the cops but they don't believe him they think he just committed suicide because he was a transvestite and had a history of kind of suicidal tendencies and stuff um but but dance actually kind of inherits the guy has a, a pit bull and uh charles dance inherits the kind of like decides to take care of the dog mm-hmm. uh but then he finds the dog collar has film ah. uh hidden in the collar and so he finds the pictures and then you know the mystery becomes real and he starts he gets kind of involved and there's you know as police if, and government agencies as if it involved. didn't sound hitchcockian to begin with it yeah, certainly that's does right. now uh, <laughs> And that's ba- that's the basic plot. At one point, though, in the film, he gets uh, he gets asked to be the member of a jury at a film festival in Italy, uh, and so he goes. And when he gets there, there's all kinds of like protests, but no one will tell him why they're protesting, and they're all protesting in Italian, and he doesn't speak Italian, so he doesn't know what the hell they're <laughs> they're talking about. Um, and he gets there, and he meets like a there's a youngish Jerry Stiller is one of the other uh, <laughs> members of the jury. Uh, uh, in this festival and he meets uh, an actress from one of the films, Ritza Brown, who uh, it was in Atwell, the Invincible and the Desert Warrior with Mark Harmon and stuff like that. Uh, but as it goes, you find out the festival is actually like a porn festival. <laughs> like when they go and they sit in the movies and it's like sex films. Oh, so it's not that like Polanski was there or anything like no, that. <laughs> no, no, no. But you don't really, but they don't, he doesn't know that. Yeah. He kind of thinks it's kind of funny, yeah. but you, and you, it's not really 
it's not really, and that's why they're protesting. It's yeah. not really stated if it's hardcore or softcore. Yeah. And because in the first, like Jerry Stiller literally falls asleep in the first five minutes of the thing. And yeah. Keep cutting to him <laughs> snoring away, which is uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty funny. Um, <laughs> this sounds up my alley. It's a, it's a, it's a real like, and it's it's shot in it's. I wouldn't say it's shot in a Hitchcockian style. It's done in like a British kind of gritty TV style. It's yeah. It's super entertaining and it has a great cast. Um. Of British, of kind of modern British actors like Mark Rylance and Roger Lloyd Peck from The Vicar of Dibley pops yep. up. Um, Felicia, uh, Phyllis Logan from Lovejoy uh, turns up in it. Uh, Brian Glover from Alien 3 plays like a, one of the cops. Uh, but then there's also a bunch of Hitchcock actors, uh, including Anne Todd from The Paradigm Case, Anna Massey from Frenzy, and there's even a cameo by Dina De Laurentiis' niece, uh, Simona, who right. shows up in her one and only acting gig. How weird. And just uh, she's just there. She's just in the... She's like one of the attendants at the uh, front, at the Italian Film Festival. And it found... You know, the, the, it turns out like the, the Italian Film Festival is all a front. They want to get him there because they're trying to get... They know he's got these photos. Yeah, right. And they're trying to... But it's, it's a... You know... I'm intrigued. I'm going to yeah. add that to my list. It's great. But this, this show, Screen 2, because... A lot of the movies that, that played on this actually got big theatrical releases internationally. Uh, like Persuasion mm-hmm. was one of them. Persuasion from, 19, I think, 1995, Priest. Yep. That Linus Roach movie that got yeah, Miramax yeah. into trouble with Disney. That originally was a made-for-TV movie. The Snapper with Colm Meany, Small Faces. There's one I've got on tape called Defrosting the Fridge, which is Joe Don Baker comes to, uh, <laughs> comes to England to coach a American football team. By, uh, run by a like Japanese-owned fish <laughs> packing company. It's, it's a really weird one. Um, truly that one, madly, that one should have been called the Snapper. That one should have been called the Snapper. Yeah, Truly Madly Deeply yeah, with Julian Stevenson film. and Alan Rickman was a TV movie. Yep. Enchanted April with Paul yep. Shannon. Like all these movies were part of this. Yes, part of fantastic, this series. Fantastic. And they knew, like they knew they were they were made to air on BBC. BBC One or BBC mm. Two in the UK, but then they would get picked up by Sony Pictures. Classic yeah, and like and ones like, for example, Priest, like highly regarded theatrically in Australia, yeah. at least. You know, yeah, wow, very cool. I'm going to go really, really obscure with my next one. Uh, this one's really grim as well, but um, you can stream this one through a, a website called archive.org. Ooh. It's also on Canopy if you have access to that. Uh, it's a film from 1976 <laughs> called "Do I Have to Kill My Child." And yes. starring Jackie Weaver, and this Ooh. is uh, a movie about a mother who has a mental breakdown after her third child is born, and she she beats the baby, and like shakes it, or like she like belts the baby, and this is like the scene in Step Brothers where they just beat the shit out of all the kids in there. Look, I, I, I do not want to make light of it, but <laughs> it's heavy stuff. But you know that's what we do on this show, so there's going to be a little bit of a frivolity here. But um, <laughs> it was made as a sort of public service movie. It is only 50 minutes long, but it is definitely a movie. And I guess there were, back in those days, they weren't afraid to put lots of commercials into stuff. So you could stretch that 50 minutes out to sort of, you know, 70 or 80 minutes easily. Directed by the great um, Donald Crombie, who did Caddy and the Irishman, Playing Beatty Bow, Robbery Under Arms, amongst many others. And it was actually heavily invested um, by the Women's Film Fund. So this is interesting because. I should also note that Jackie Weaver won her first Logie for this one as well, for Best Actress. Right. So it has some you know, significance there, you know. Where? 
Well, you know, as much significance as a Logie can provide. Let's just no, but Hollywood's way. Jackie Weaver, you know, yeah. won her first major award with this one, and back then the Logies had some credit, uh, credibility, I should say. They were <laughs> moving on. They were for uh, pay. What you I find pay. fascinating about this movie is though it, it addresses a really, really real and taboo subject, you know, which at the time postnatal depression was something that was only sort of coming to the light. People didn't understand it and this movie tackled it. But can you imagine in today's world, you can't possibly tackle something like postnatal depression where you depict a mother beating her babies without her being a villain, right? Yeah. Whereas in this movie, you sympathize with her. Like you start to understand the mental strains that she was under and all that. So I love that, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you could go to these dark places without vilifying certain people and, you know, whereas you just couldn't get it made anymore. So... If you're interested in those sort of themes of postnatal depression and important subjects like that, check it out. It's, you know, free on archive.org. Yeah. Well and, in, and in Jackie Weaver's defense, that baby just wouldn't shut up. <laughs> wouldn't shut up. And the husband's fucking annoying too. Like, she should have belted him at the same time. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And it, look, it's grim, but, you know, I love Aussie cinema and this is one that sort of went under my radar for a very long time. Yeah, right. right. Bring, us, bring us back into the light, Ben. Well, look, I... I well, while we're on the theme, I might as well talk about another Australian made-for-TV movie that wasn't actually made for TV, but became a made-for-TV movie. Ooh. It was, they had originally, they'd planned a theatrical run, but it I'm excited, it. I'm excited. It never made it, just, it just played on, on, on uh, TV. It is called Coda. Oh, yeah. A symphony of suspense. <laughs> Not what I thought you were no, going to say. What no. did you Jeffrey. think I was going to say? Well, I thought you were going down that, you know, I live with me dad kind of realm, right. which you know, I don't think had a theatrical release, but anyway. Oh, it was DTV. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there is a subtle difference between DTV and, and made for TV, although. That was made for the that Seven was Network. Made for the, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, this, this one, Coda is like, it's a, it's a horror film. It's a proto slasher type, um, almost Aussie giallo. Yep. Uh, film like it's super interesting. Um, it's set in the uh, world of music academia, <laughs> uh, like and the movie opens with a um, hence the title, hence the title. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's directed by this guy Craig Craig Laif. Mm-hmm. Laif. Um, but the movie starts with uh, this musical student being attacked uh, in her home by a master assailant, and it's actually like they shoot it from. Uh, the perspective of somebody like watching out of the window, and yeah. there actually is someone watching out of the window, but it's quite kind of full on that the opening mm. kind of fight scene, and they fight all through the kind of house, and then she ends up being thrown out of like a, I believe the second story window, and and uh, dies, um, and the the person kind of watching from the window is actually uh, Penny Cook's ex husband. Penny Cook is a fellow student at the university who also lives in the same house. And, of course, he looks similar mm-hmm. to the attacker, although I guess he's the only, the only person who's actually seen the attacker is Penny Cook's ex-husband. But yet everyone else <laughs> seems to know that, that he looks like the attacker as well. <laughs> so um, he's kind of blamed and goes on the run, and she doesn't believe that he did this mm. and something else is going on and all the cops are like, no, he's the guy. We don't really need to investigate further. Sure. Um, so Penny Cook kind of decides to uh, investigate herself and it, like, it's, it's really good. There's like, there's some kind of like weird kind of lesbian-y undertones, overtones kind of, uh, uh, kind of 
flowing through the film. Like Anna Maria Winchester plays the um, the kind of their their professor mm-hmm. who is also being questioned, and it kind of the, the the movie basically opens with this girl coming home, like a, a car kind of driving up to the driveway, and um, it stops, and then it kind of close up on the front front kind of seat, and it's her making out with Anna Maria Winchester, and then when she gets interviewed by the cops. Like immediately after the death, she's like, "No, I don't sleep with my students." Or, and you're like, so immediately she's kind of suspicious. Yeah, yeah, like a, a person of kind of interest. Yeah, but uh, there's a there's a really weird part where they kind of they she investigates and she's involved. This there's a female cop who's the one who's kind of in charge of the investigation who doesn't who believes it's Penny Cooksey's husband, but they kind of involve her every step of the way and she's disbelieving and disbelieving. And then finally they get her to believe that. He couldn't have done it because of this and that. And she's like, so does that mean my ex-husband will get out of prison? And she's like, oh, no. Like, the jury didn't believe him at all. They chucked him in prison for life. And and Penny's like, okay. Like, they just don't seem to give a shit. (laughs) Even though this guy has been, you know. um, Framed. Yeah, like, it's it's a pretty good, it's got some pretty, like, for a made for TV movie, it's got pretty good kills mm-hmm. in it. There's like a samurai sword kind of killing, and there's a with a bit of a American Psycho kind of thing, which I won't ruin for you. There's uh, stabbings, there's drownings. A woman is shoved in a fridge and frozen. Uh, there's like there's a lot this of kind fantastic. of fantastic. Cool. It's pretty cool. As far as I know, the only release it ever got here was uh, Palace released it on VHS. I remember the Palace. Uh, artwork for it artwork, yeah. and that's when you said Coda it's immediately what came to my mind and it's one right. of those Aussie films I, I think I may have posted it on Facebook a while back when I posted all those photos of movies I need to watch yeah right you know, Aussie forgotten classics yeah like it definitely deserves uh, like an umbrella kind of yeah. special edition or Ooh. something like it's uh, like I really enjoyed it like yes. I, I finally p- only picked it up like literally on Sunday mm. on, on beta yeah mate what year was it made? Uh, 1987. Excellent. So that's yeah, that's a good that's a good year. Like it's a good era. Yeah, yeah fantastic. All right. Well, let's we've got some more to talk about, but let's hand it over to Guillermo, whose life story would be I don't know portrayed maybe by Martino Rivas. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> Look him up. What's going on, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Let's cover a little bit of the news from the past week. Kicking off with the Suicide Squad's Australian rating, which has been lowered following an appeal. James Gunn's highly anticipated DC Comics adaptation was handed an R18 Plus in Australia, which is the highest rating available in Australia for a theatrical release, was handed an R18 Plus rating on June the 1st. That restricts anyone under the age of 18 from viewing the classified content. Australia Classification Board provided the rating due to what it deemed to be high impact violence. Didn't take long for an appeal process to get underway. The Classification Board announced on June 8th that it would be reviewing the classification following an appeal application from Universal Pictures International. And on June 15th, the appeal proved to be a success. The Suicide Squad's rating has been lowered from R18 Plus down to MA15 Plus for, and I quote, strong fantasy violence, blood and gore, and frequent coarse language. The classification review board said in a statement, the overall impact of the classifiable elements in the film was strong. The review board also determined that the comedic tone and fantasy setting of the film mitigated the impact of the classifiable elements. Australia's MA15 Plus rating signifies that persons under the age of 15 cannot attend screenings of films unless they are accompanied by a responsible adult, which is a much more relaxed rating than the hard 18 plus 
that comes with the R. Gerard Butler and Morena Baccarin's Greenland characters are going to be in for yet another fight for survival. A sequel to the 2020 disaster flick Greenland has been greenlit, with both Butler and Baccarin set to return as John and Alison Garrity respectively. The key creatives are also back with director Rick Roman War and screenwriter Chris Sparling signing up for another round as well. The sequel will be picking up from where we left the Garrity family, having made it through a near extinction level event when an interstellar comet hit the earth. Now the family must leave the safety of the Greenland bunker and embark on a perilous journey across the decimated frozen wasteland of Europe to find a new home. Dakota Johnson is set to star alongside Sean Penn in a film called Daddy-O. Johnson will be taking on a role that was previously to be played by Daisy Ridley. This will be the writing and directing feature debut for Christy Hall, co-creator of Netflix's short-lived I'm Not Okay With This series. Titled Daddy-O, the film will have Johnson playing a young woman who gets in a cab after arriving in New York City, Sean Penn plays the driver, and what will follow is an unexpected conversation between the two, covering everything from power dynamics, love, loss, sex, etc. The film is being described as a contained yet kinetic drama that explores the complexities of human connection. And Ewan McGregor will be climbing Mount Everest. There's another film called Everest on the way. This one will have McGregor playing George Mallory, an English mountaineer who took part in the first three British attempts to climb that massive mountain. The film is going to be coming from director Doug Lyman, known for The Bourne Identity, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Edge of Tomorrow, and the upcoming Tom Cruise in Space movie. The screenplay for Everest, which I suspect will get retitled, is going to be coming from Sheldon Turner, an Oscar-nominated screenwriter whose credits include Up in the Air and X-Men First Class. That about does it for me, guys. As always, ScreenRealm.com for all your latest movie and TV news, trailers, all that jazz. Thanks as always to the Good Movie Monday team for having me. Until next week, I'm out of here.
say if we up and ran away ran away oh isn't that lovely what would they say by Paul Williams from the TV movie The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. Oh, with uh, Johnny Travolta. Directed by the great Randall Kleiser. Mate, that's a, that's a sweet, sweet movie. And Paul Williams. I think there, there's... there's <laughs> what a legend. I mean, considering how, how much music he's done for movies and TV, like, but there is something very made for TV, especially about 70s movies. You know, yeah. They, they kind of need to have Paul Williams soundtrack <laughs> to be legit. I feel like everybody knows Paul Williams for a different reason. Like I think, like you know, yeah. Jarrett would know him from Phantom of Paradise or know him best. Uh, some might go to Battle for Planet of the Apes, whereas he'll always be little Enos to me. <laughs> oh, Enos from Smokey and the Bandit, yes, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and another great update there from Guillermo as well. Before that, visit ScreenRealm.com and their social media pages for all those updates and more. Would you like to take the lead on the next one, Ben? Sure. Uh, well, the next one I want to, I kind of want to talk about is um, one that I'd been meaning to watch uh, literally for uh, like over a decade. Yep. And bought the DVD from the video store I worked at. Like when we when they shut down, I kind of I took it home and I still didn't watch it. Yep. And this episode proved to be the perfect excuse. Cool. It is uh, The Girl in the Cafe from 2005. I know it, but once again, I have not seen it. I haven't seen it. It's directed by David Yates, who, um, aside from doing a bunch of episodes of The Bill, also has directed the last 35 Harry Potter movies. Wasn't that P.D. Yates? Was it P.D. Yates? Was it David Yates? I think it's P.D. Yates. Maybe I'm wrong. Let's, uh, Let's look her up. Why don't we look it up? Rather, I mean, than, this... rather than have everyone else fact check us. Uh... David Yates. All right, I'm going to go sit in the corner. Yep. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this movie, uh, and he also he also did State of Play. Funnily enough, just before this, uh, which which cast a lot of the same people. Yep. Uh, is made by BBC Wales as like a I think a co-production between BBC Wales and HBO. Mm-hmm. It did play on HBO in the US. Um, and it stars uh, Bill Nye plays like Lawrence, this kind of aging, awkward civil servant uh, who works for the um, the Chancellor of the uh, of the Exchequer, who was played by Ken Stott, who is one of my favourite kind of British actors. I can never remember his name, but he he's like a kind of a what do I say? He's like a pudgy, <laughs> I guess, kind of like pockmarked type older kind of guy who always plays kind of. Um, he either plays total assholes, yep, or he plays kind of you know, put upon. Oh, he was in the dig that recent movie. Yes, yeah, and he's, he's in the dig. He's yeah. the the pompous museum guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's got like a <laughs> kind of a Scottishy type accent. Big nose. So, yeah, big nose. He's in um, uh, Charlie Wilson's War and stuff. And yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, I used to see him on stuff on the ABC. I all never the time. would know his name either. Uh, but anyway, but so Bill Nye. He's like this kind of awkward civil servant who kind of like he lurks in the backgrounds of meetings. He's very kind of um, shy and mm-hmm. unassuming. And uh, one day he takes a break um, and goes to get a, a cup of tea from the cafe across the road from where he works. And all of the seats are taken in the cafe except for this one 
um, table mm-hmm. where Kelly McDonald is sit- sitting having a cup of coffee. So he kind of nervously asks if he can mm-hmm. sit at her table and they kind of strike up a conversation and it's like it's their kind of meet cute moment. Yep. Um, oh, I would love both, to sit at her table. Oh, I, I love Kelly McDonald so much. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, and she actually, she won an Emmy for this. Wow, like cool. It was, um, uh, it did so well. Oh, an Emmy? An, an Emmy. Oh. Much better than a Logan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> even even with all the controversy, much better than a Logan. So did she beat a baby to win it? <laughs> she do, No, she beats a man <laughs> for uh, touching baby. her baby. Oh, okay. Um, well, then that, that... I don't want to spoil, I don't want to spoil what... That's in relation oh, well, that, to that's, that's Emmy. Kind that's of Emmy nice worthy. Little, yeah, it's a nice little side, but you don't see it. Doesn't it? it's not it's a, something that happens in her background. Oh, strip it away from it. It's her. not a uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but they kind of they strike up this kind of relationship. It's very kind of chastened because they're both pretty awkward, and it kind of turns out that you know she has she keeps saying that she has nothing like nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Like he's like uh, you know would you he asks her out to say you know would you want to meet up for coffee or dinner mm. sometime. And she's like, sure, like any, like any time. I've got nothing. And he's kind of going through his diary. And he's like, how about next Friday? No, I've got a meeting with, you know, um, someone. How about Friday after that? And she's like, literally any time. <laughs> like I have nothing, absolutely nothing, any time. Um, but they kind of, you know, he, he takes her out to dinner and they kind of get along, but still, you know, um, thing. and he mentions that he's, he's on his way to Iceland. Mm-hmm. He's going to go to Iceland in the following week for the G8 summit where they're trying to kind of, Trying to kind of, trying to trying to convince the rest of the world to get on board with this um, um, thing that will help poverty in in Africa, like stop you know, mm-hmm. kind of um, arrest yeah arrest poverty and stop all these you know they come through with these kind of alarming facts of you know two hundred babies a baby dies every three seconds and all this kind of stuff. Well, we've and got a new theme for the show. You know, it's pretty. It's dark. <laughs> and he's telling Kelly McDonald all this, and she she agrees to come with him because why not? All she knows about Iceland is that's where Bjork She's comes literally from. got no time. And like, she has all the time, to all, do. all the time in the world. So she kind of comes with him and then they get there and there's the only, he forgets to get a second room. <laughs> so they're kind of stuck together and he, she sleeps on the couch and it's, you know, it's, it's just kind of, yeah, they kind of, they're sort of kind of falling in love as, as this is going on. But he, all his kind of colleagues, they know that he's like this weird kind of, awkward kind of guy so they all take a lot of interest in in the fact that he's you know now got this young attractive woman yep and uh, every time that she he introduces her to to his boss and he kind of at first he thinks it's pretty funny but she kind of nails him on these so how how is it going in this meeting like in the and what's happening while they're at the G8 summit like the Americans and the and the Germans and stuff are all kind of against this plan they they want to concentrate on their own economies mm-hmm. they don't want to do anything to help Africa like yeah they're like the best thing we can do for Africa is to help ourselves. Basically, is their yeah, yeah. line. And so she and he, um, Bill Nye, comes home, at, like comes back to the hotel room after all these meetings, looking dejected and depressed because nothing is happening. Like nothing that he wants to kind of achieve is happening. And so she kind of every time she meets, like the German Chancellor or the the president, the Prime Minister of of. Uh, England and stuff. She's <laughs> like, so how's the meeting going today? Because I uh, understand that you're not doing this, and <laughs> this is really important. And she kind of like takes them all to school. Yeah, it's just this, but it's yeah. And he gets into all sorts of trouble because of it and stuff. But it's just this really kind of sweet, hmm. uh, yet somehow politically relevant yep. kind of movie. Like a really good. Like I, I was shocked by how much I liked it. It was one of those ones that you watch and you're like, 
why didn't I watch this in 2005? <laughs> like, it is just so good. Sounds like a British version of Longshot or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. Um, yeah, no, I, I... But not as stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Though just as improbable, but funnily enough, the other way around. It's it's yeah. Charlize Theron in this case is the person <laughs> on the outside. Yeah. All right. Cool. I'm going to mention one that's essentially on behalf of Jarrett because this is one we both discovered a mutual love for. Um, it's 1985. It's a summer camp movie called Poison Ivy, starring Michael J. Fox and Nancy McKeon. And they both start in High School USA, which was another TV movie from two years earlier. Uh, this is not to be confused with the Drew Barrymore Poison Ivy, by the way. That uh, that sexy thriller, that teen thriller with Tom Skerritt, who Jarrett believes never ages, according to his piece no, before. <laughs> it's because of the mustache. Yeah, he went grey early, so he just didn't age for 40 so years. This one, it's fantastic. It feels like a, a movie of the week version of Meatballs. And it's essentially the same story as Meatballs. You've got the, the camp... The summer camp with the rival sort of, you know, camp counsellors, but Michael J. Fox plays the Bill Murray character who's taking one of the, the quiet kids under his wing that's got no confidence and sort of starts to build him up over the course of the summer. It's got the romance, you know, it's got... Uh, Michael J. Fox is really sleazy in it, which is what I like, and he's trying to shag this nurse that works at the camp who's got a fiancé, and he's just constantly trying to get in the pants. And it's really funny to watch Michael J. Fox in these kind of roles, and he does it really well as well. And it's just a really cool if you like summer camp movies like meatballs it's it's made for television but feels theatrical right so well worth it um i think nbc made it and they sat on it for quite a bit of time knowing that back to the future and teen wolf were coming out because i think teen wolf they held off on to cash in on back to the future and then in turn nbc held off on this to capitalize on both of them um but yeah well worth it poison ivy i think if i'm not mistaken it did get like a proper remaster release maybe on blu-ray i think jared did buy it but um yeah poison ivy poison i'm just that typing is me writing it down uh to add to my list your fingers are too fat for your keyboard the nbc poster that they used for the promotion is really cool it's like a hand-drawn kind of thing right whereas you look at the vhs designs and they're terrible i was going to say the 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 VHS cover for Secret Weapons yeah. is an illustrated Linda Hamilton, like literally opening her top. It's probably why I know it. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, cool. Um, I reckon it's time that we fly on over to Kentucky and visit the Boneheads. Um, who do you reckon would play the Boneheads in a TV movie? I reckon Joe would be played by Jonathan Frakes. I reckon. Jonathan Frakes now, though. Yeah, I reckon. Um, Ben McKenzie would be your good Chad. Yeah, right. And Michael Emerson is James. And um, if you know what the boneheads look like, that's funny as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> this is Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. This is probably where we should make a joke about Ben not understanding us since this is we the one that's going to be coming out the soonest. Yeah, probably. If I knew that, I would have waited for this one to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's going yeah. to be a time travel thing later, and they're going to think Kentuckians aren't, you know, non-corporeal. Woo-hoo! Let's ride this lasso. Why do we boys? exist here? 
Why? Why do we exist? So here? this is going to be an existential bonehead weekly fun size. Talking about TV movies, one of my favorite TV movies of all time is not one of the best TV movies. And Chad guessed a couple of them. There's a couple of Stephen King ones I love, like It and The Storm of the Century. But something personal in my heart that I witnessed at the age of five that just had a huge impact on me, and I loved it so much because I loved sci-fi and horror, was V, Kenneth Johnson's V from 1983. I don't even know if it's streaming. I tried finding it the other day and couldn't. There was V, then they made another miniseries, V, the uh, blah, 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 the final countdown or confrontation. And then they actually had a series. This is actually what shot Robert England to fame. This is what he was slightly famous for before Freddy Krueger. People forgot, forget all about this. Yeah. Mart Singer, the Beastmaster, was the star of it aliens come to earth saying that they're going to help us in these big round spaceships and of course chad james they're not going to help us are they oh no, no. they're lizard people underneath the skin and they're here to eat us now i'm kind of confused of all the things on earth why they're eating humans i really need to go back and rewatch this it's been a long time but i am telling you when this premiered and i watched it at home five years old i can still remember it absolutely melted my brain and i have loved it ever since even though i know mainly it's an emotional love okay so i am going to talk about a tv movie again not the best tv movie ever made but it has a special place to me a special place for me and it is i'll be honest with you originally i thought this movie was mr boogity but i was wrong everything i remember is from Bride of Boogity. Boogity. It's one of my favorites, too. That's the one I saw first, Chad. Yeah, we just got to see them now. They've not been available, but they added them to Disney Plus, which was a highlight for me. I sit down as just like I was as a child watching in front of the TV, getting ready to pop popcorn, eating popcorn. And also the thing about Boogity that it brought up my love of of character actor Richard Mazur. Um, The man. Yeah, the man is fantastic. I didn't see it. I saw Bride of Boogity and Richard Mazur as the dad was phenomenal. Highly recommend watching both. It's about, it's about a ghost uh, of a Puritan priest mm-hmm. who is terrorizing uh, this town. Uh, the sequel uh, stars Eugene Levy as a prop, uh, as a, as a store owner. Highly recommend checking out uh, Bride of Boogity and Mr. Boogity. These were ABC, Disney, the Disney yeah. Sunday night films that we had um, in the States on ABC. And, and yeah. Boogity is an hour and Bride of Boogity is, is a full two, two hours. Ernest Hemingway once said, every true story ends in death. Well, this is a true story. Because I love Brian Piccolo and I'd like all of you to love him too. And tonight, hit your knees, please ask God to love him. Brian's song. Brian's song, James really? Conn. Yeah, James Con- Are you kidding me? I James Conn and Billy what? D. Williams? But we did V, we did shit. And here you are talking about something True people story. actually remember. I mean, you're doing a depressing one. This is supposed to no. be fun. This was, this was a TV movie that people that didn't care about football, including a young me, <laughs> uh, paid attention to. I mean, it, and it doesn't matter that it was made before I was born. When they re-aired it, people would watch it. And, and if you don't know the story, it's about a running back that finds out he has cancer and he dies at the age of 26. The problem is the Australians are going to think that this is all about soccer. Yeah. Well, it's about American football. We all know the greatest football. And and really the bombs have been launched and I'm dead. Yeah. And and in reality, the, the true story about the movie is he's a running back who goes into poverty and all he's looking for is his quarterback. Thank you. Good night. And we with that, we've canceled. been 
been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Tune in next week when we can insult another continent. We're all dead. Man, I, I get a feeling you've got some shit kicking coming your way, dude. <laughs> they've like, they've set up a joke for you, but they've delivered it in the wrong video or wrong wrong package. Right. <laughs> I guess we'll have to wait, have to, wait. to find out how that's going to play out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you to the Boneheads. They are from Kentucky and they do present their show Bonehead Weekly, wherever you get podcasts from. Their two most recent episodes explored movies from the year 1999. And speaking of 1999, my next movie was made six years later. It's actually... (laughs) (laughs) What a smooth segue. (laughs) Um, Actually, this was made in 2005. And um, since then, there's been a total of nine movies in the series with a tenth one in production. And I'm talking about Tom Selleck as Jesse Stone. And I absolutely adore this series. It is police procedural investigation kind of stuff about uh, a, a new sheriff in town, a new police chief in, in the small community of Paradise. And Paradise is one of those small towns that seems to have more murders than anywhere else in the world. It's the Mount Thomas of America. <laughs> That's right. Based on books by Robert B. Barker. Um, basic run-of-the-mill stuff, but I just love the atmosphere of this one. I think... Doesn't his love interest get killed in every episode? Yeah, pretty much. Or he's but, the killer. Although, his actual love interest is his ex-wife who just talks to him on the phone all the time. Yeah. Like, you never see her, but he has these deep therapeutic conversations with her while he's yeah. smashing down bottles of like bourbon. Yeah. And he is Tom Selleck, so he's you know, he's gonna be knee deep in the uh in the ladies. <laughs> or I tell you what, I watched uh, I watched the, the back end of these. I watched like number eight and nine. Okay. <laughs> ben like, looked where, at me where, funny when I said back end. Where, where are you going with it? And I gotta admit, like they were a little bit creepy. Like you got Tom Selleck, big burly guy with a mustache, and there's a in the in the ninth one which um what was the ninth one called? Lost in Paradise. He befriends a 13-year-old girl that's been abused by her mother, who's an alcoholic, but he befriends her in a really creepy kind of way. Like, you know, lots of putting his arm around her and, you know, everything's going to be okay. And yeah, you can't do that anymore. He can't. And then he, he one of the, um, the, the witnesses for a murder, he becomes like a father figure to her and like constantly touching her and holding her hand and wrapping his arms around her. And it's like, oh, mate. Tom, Tom. He's writing a, a tenth one at the moment, so it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. Doesn't he know that we're in a pandemic and he should be keeping <laughs> yeah. 1.5 metres distance between himself and these people? And the movies in the series, I'm going to read them out. Uh, we've got the time. <laughs> Stone Cold, Night Passage, Death in Paradise, Sea Change, Thin Ice, No Remorse, Innocence Lost, Benefit of the Doubt, and Lost in Paradise. Most of those were made for, oh, I think it was CBS, maybe, uh, but the last one was picked up by Hallmark which, you know, you would appreciate. And the 10th one, it was the first in a three-picture deal for Hallmark and the 10th one's coming soon. There were only nine books, so I guess uh, the 10th one's just going to be, you know, just... They're going to freestyle it. They'll freestyle it. Hallmark are doing a lot of, like, they've got a lot of these kind of murder mystery type... um, And not just those, like, those little schlocky ones that you talk about a lot, like (laughs) (laughs) the garage mysteries and, you know, they actually do some... But they actually do some legitimate ones, you know, like procedural style as opposed to, like, I've got a handbag and it's, you know, full of clues and shit like that. (laughs) So offensive. (laughs) There's a cookie bake sale. Someone laced the biscuits. That's just one. <laughs> one of the series is about a, like a garage sale mysteries. <laughs> they may as well all be. But, yeah. but the, all nine of these were directed by Robert Harmon, who directed the, the Hitcher back in the day with Ruka Hauer. 
Oh, so see Thomas Howe. He had like legitimate cred back then, and he, he made nowhere to run with Van Dam. Did that Wes Craven presents they, and then he tripped into this world of you know movie telly movies, and um, he also directed most of the episodes of Blue Bloods, which also starred Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. Yeah, but like I said, what I love about this is the atmosphere of it. I think his character really fits the environment that he's in, and I think he plays it to the to the environment because there are moments throughout the the whole thing where he'll travel to Boston or he'll do work, you know, on on the side. You know, mm. he's got a side hustle. And wherever he's at, he kind of just fits in really well. And I don't know if that's just the Tom Selleck thing. Because he's like the he's like the jean jean wearing baseball cap toting chief of police of this yeah, town. Right? He's got like slash a, alcoholic. He's got like a um, a corduroy jacket with yeah. a baseball cap. Yeah, for sure. I, I love cool. it. I love it. It's a great series. Um, and here's some regular stars throughout it all. Like there is some good talent here. You got Viola Davis, who's in the first four. Uh, Cole Sudeth, Stephen McCaddy. Like we love Stephen McCaddy. Uh, Willem Devane. I was actually going to talk about as a Stephen McCaddy film, the um, the whatever happened to to Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Uh, the made for TV sequel, and yes. Stephen McCaddy is Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> yes. William Sadler, um, Kathy Baker, Mae Whitman, and Luke Perry in the last one played a serial killer, and he's fantastic. He did a lot of TV movies towards the end. He Certainly did. Like did. A, he had his own series, I think Hallmark series called Judge. Oh, it's not Judge John Deed, but he was like a basically a. He's, it's a Western series where he's a judge and back in the kind of Western era, <laughs> judges would travel to towns dispensing justice at that town. Like, and he'd be there once well, a month. Firstly, I thought you were going to say he was a judge from his garage and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> deliver swift justice from, you know, the, from the neighbourhood. From thugs. the neighbourhood, yeah. <laughs> and it crossed over the with all those, come. you know, street fake sale nursery fucking <laughs> murder mysteries. <laughs> But isn't that the reason that isn't that the reason Tarantino cast him in um not quite Hollywood not quite Hollywood what the fuck am I talking about Once Upon a Once Time in Hollywood. Hollywood yeah because he was in that Western series yeah I believe so. so I don't know yeah if you say so let's go with that let's go with that yeah <laughs> right, I'm done talking you go okay. <laughs> okay look at this I think I think it'd be remiss to talk about made for TV movies and not in some way mention a Morgan Fairchild film. That's true. The queen of uh, made-for-TV movies. So I wanted to talk about uh, The Initiation of Sarah okay. from 1978, which is basically a kind of made-for-TV Carrie clone. Like, they blatantly rip off a bunch of scenes from, from Carrie, though this one does have a bit more of a kind of satanic uh, kind of um, feel to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a, there's kind of... there's a, there's. Different stuff going on, and it's but it's not also not as horrific. Yeah, right. Like the things that happen to uh, to the to the main girl aren't as bad as what happens to uh, to. Uh, <laughs> Do Carrie. they throw maxi pads at her instead of tampons? Is it like because the TV no, version? No, they, they throw mud. Oh, okay. It's mud. It's, it's mud. not. Uh, it's not pig's blood or whatever it is. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, basically, this this it's it's two two sisters, Sarah and Patty. Um, played by Kay Lenz and Morgan Brittany, um, uh, head, kind of head off to college. And Kay Lenz is kind of the frumpy, kind of nervous, withdrawn mm-hmm. kind of sister. And you're like, you're watching this and you're like, what kind of movie is Kay Lenz <laughs> playing? Like she literally, in, in in other films, she's the cop who goes undercover as a stripper. Like she, how is she playing the, the dowdy one? But... She is for the in this. Um, <laughs> and she also happens to have psychic powers. 
telekinetic powers and where that that um, uh, evolve that uh, kind of come out every time she gets angry. So basically, these two sisters they're off to college, uh, where um, their mother wants them to join the Alpha New Sigma sorority, the, the sorority that she was a member of. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, and it, like as it comes it comes out throughout the kind of early in the film that um, Kaylin's is actually adopted. She's not actually the daughter, and the, it's, it kind of becomes clear when the mother's talking to them that she, you know, she's distantly polite to Kay Lenz, <laughs> but really, you know, doesn't give too much of a shit. And Kay Lenz knows it, mm-hmm. and it's kind of the way she's treated throughout the whole, pretty much the whole film. Everyone kind of treats her a bit as a bit of a, a nobody, second class kind of citizen type thing. Um, so but when they get there, Morgan Fairchild is the uh, is the president of the sorority, and immediately like loves Patty. And doesn't love Kay. Doesn't love <laughs> poor Kaylin. So she kind of pushes her out of the sorority and, and forces her to join or suggests you join this um, this other sorority, uh, Phi Epsilon Delta, which they kind of nicknamed pigs, elephants, and dogs. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> it's next door to Lambda, Lambda, Lambda. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, but as part of the, and you, should, you know, as part of the kind of rush week, initiation process she tries to basically drive a wedge between the two sisters because gotcha. she's kind of jealous mm. of the um their relationship and orders i can see Patty not that. to talk to and of course this infuriates uh Kay, Kay lens and uh you know things happen like a piano almost drops on patty and <laughs> at one point and this this movie got a bit of kind of it was a bit controversial at the time because um at one point she uses her telekinetic powers to shove Morgan Fairchild into the a pond in the, at the head of the center of the university campus. And Morgan Fairchild at the time is wearing a white t-shirt. So nice. when she gets out of the water, it's uh, it's <laughs> nipple city. And uh, prior to that, nipples had not been seen on television in America. Wow. Especially not in a made for TV movie. So, to, you know, cause a bit of a controversy, but um, the kind of, and so, and, you know, she does all these things like she kind of she sets her up for a date that uh, she invites her to a a party for a, a guy she likes and when she turns up they they all throw mud at her and mm-hmm. stuff like that and she's kind of um, the den mother of this sorority that she joins is played by Shelley Winters who kind of I love her who knows that she's got these psychic powers and is kind of um, wants to use it to get revenge on the sorority girls. And so she kind of feeds her anger and keeps like, yes. Like, it's like, she's, she's like the emperor in, uh, in like empire strikes back. Yeah. You know, feel the hate. Like she's like all <laughs> this kind of stuff. And she, she wears kind of like, um, satanic kind of cult robes and does things by like, has these ceremonies. And Very suspiria. Kind of, yeah. But you know, the, the, the stuff she does, <laughs> the stuff she does is like, she, um, they're, they're Morgan, Morgan Fairchild and uh, and Morgan Brittany are both in a like a big kind of shower, and she uh, locks. She uses her telekinetic powers to lock the doors and to make the water scalding hot. And <laughs> the both girls are in the shower screaming about oh, the water's so hot. But the shower's so big that they could easily just stand yeah. out of the yeah, not be hot, <laughs> and not be hot. <laughs> it's like you know the whole time you were talking. Then I was looking up Morgan Fairchild wet t-shirts. Yeah. And I couldn't find that film, but I found plenty of photos. Plenty of photos, yeah. It's a fantastic... Uh, I mean, look, she's absolutely stunning, Morgan Fairchild. Never more than in this, but she's also you know, never been kind of more bitchy. Yeah, right. Uh, but uh, you'll enjoy this. One of the uh, one of the actors who has a, like a minor role in it, in a, like against, totally against type, 
is uh, Robert Hayes. Oh, fantastic! And he plays like a jock. <laughs> that's kind of you know. We have uh, we've connected now to quite a few upcoming episodes yeah. just by our reference. Excellent. But it is like it is. It's super entertaining for even even though it is kind of an, a you know a, a Carrie knockoff. That's all right. It's not and not as full on as Carrie, but it is. It's pretty entertaining. Pretty pretty good to watch. I I watched it on. I watched it on videotape, but I'm sure that it's gonna, it'd be on YouTube or something. And, there was, and it was remade. Like it's been remade like not too long ago, like 2010 or something like well, that. Because no one knows this original, so get yeah, away with it. Yeah, <laughs> and but it's the funny thing is, is that I'm sure that the remake is a lot more tame. Like they've modernized it and tried to make the themes more adult, and yet. On other aspects of it, they've it's a lot more repressed. But does it have bitch nips? Yeah, no, no, I don't think there's. Uh, and Morgan Fairchild is in it though. But this time she's playing the mother of the two girls. She's not playing the. Of course, she's in her sixties. She's not playing the head of the president of the sorority. <laughs> <laughs> Although that would be a great bit of uh, inspired casting. <laughs> be like a Strangers with Candy type thing. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. Now, today we are doing made-for-TV movies. They have had a huge jump from the dreck that might be talked about by some of my cohorts here on this show to things like Netflix and HBO, and I'm going to go down that angle. I cannot lower myself to a a really bad made-for-TV movie. One that I really like that HBO made couple of years ago is behind the candelabra this movie is one of the strangest biopics in i don't know maybe recorded film history because it focuses exclusively on the salacious this is the story of liberace played here with complete abandoned by michael douglas and normally a movie like this would kind of you know would have these different phases and be this kind of wikipedia-esque checklist of iconic moments. That's not what this movie is about. This movie is just straight up about him being horny. <laughs> and I, it made me laugh in a way and shocked me that I, you know, very few films kind of have ever done. Michael Douglas is known as one of the sexiest hetero stars of all time. And he is so into this performance and so into his co-star played here by Matt Damon that it honestly there are bits that you just shake your head the chemistry here between the two is incredible Um, this movie is directed by Steven Soderbergh who look I find is nothing if not kind of hit and miss I mean but when you make as much content as he does but I genuinely believe that as a strange outlier in his filmography this is one of the best films that he's ever made Um, it has one of the funniest you know kind of iconic movie weirdos in (laughs) this plastic surgeon played by Rob Lowe whose face is so strangely contorted that you'd be like just kind of checking the frame going what is going on here but you know I mean but if you want to see a movie that literally you know like that pulls back the veil and shows kind of like the power imbalances between these Hollywood romances and shows also like you know how absolute power corrupts absolutely this is a very, very entertaining movie. And I think, you know, so many of us have got a romanticised version of what this celebrity life would be like. But, you know, these people are just susceptible to the human frailties of romance as the rest of us. So, you know, I think that this is, a, yeah, a really, really entertaining movie with, honest to God, one of the best Michael Douglas performances of all time. So, Behind the Candelabra, check it out ASAP. You know, I think if Adam Ross were to be played in a telly movie, he'd be played by Ben Barnes. What do you reckon? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. 
We'll go with that. He is the chairman of the Australian Film Critics Association. He's on Adam's Just Seen Facebook page. He's on Ticket TV. He's on Triple M, all those kind of things. Find him, hound him, annoy him. He's also uh, a guy. He's also a guy. <laughs> Just some guy. Just some guy. Cream of some young guy. Uh, <laughs> as you can tell, we're winding down, approaching the finale, and we're going we're gonna to continue this conversation on our social media pages tomorrow night, but we're going to... We've got so many to talk about, Ben. A lot more to talk about. Yes. Um, just a few. Do you have any, like, now honourable mentions or anything like that you want to reel off? Uh, well, I was going to talk about these in the video. Okay, we'll do that. How about I reel off some? I wanted to give a, a special shout-out. As if these movies are people, I'm giving them a shout-out. Yeah, right. <laughs> we haven't forgot you. We love you. Uh, movies that were like, you know, remember back in the day when TV shows had movies, like, like an event movie? Yeah. I want to give a shout-out to... Family Ties Vacation. How good was that? I don't remember that. I didn't know that they did a vacation. Yeah, it was like in between season four and five, I think. Right. I I remember Saved by the Bell did a Hawaiian vacation movie. Yeah. There were three Gilligan's Island movies. Uh, With the Globetrotters. That was the third one. There was the Castaways of Gilligan's Island and Rescue from Gilligan's Island. I love that they got rescued in the first tally movie and then went back to the island to open a resort. Well, it's just sometimes it's more fun making a coconut radio. (laughs) That's right. And we all love cold water showers. Um, Get Smart Again. That's a good one. And come on, this is up your alley. And the Nude Bomb? That was a theatrical. Ridiculous. (laughs) The Nude Bomb. The the Nude Bomb, I don't think, did well at all. Justifiably so. But Get Smart Again, they went back to the well and sort of... But that's their kids, isn't it? No, no, no. This is... um, this is uh, Maxwell Smart and Agent 99. It's them, but aren't there kids in it? No, Isn't that's they... the TV reboot that they did in 1995 right. with Andy Dick as their son. Yeah. Yeah, I've got that on DVD somewhere. Do you want to borrow it? <laughs> I do. I do indeed. <laughs> um, and these ones definitely up your alley. There were Murder, She Wrote movies. Yeah. And there were Perry Mason movies. There were Rockford File movies. He did like six TV movies after the series ended. Diagnosis Murder. Yeah, of course. Why, why not? <laughs> Like they just like and the episodes go for forty five minutes, so I suppose it's just two episodes together. But yeah. made but made ten years later, or sometimes yeah. five years later. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, those were the days. Event television, Ben. Baywatch, Baywatch, uh, Hawaiian Wedding. <laughs> hey, Neighbors did movies, and Home and Away did many movies. And of course, and you mentioned earlier, Degrassi Junior High. Yeah, uh, had their end <laughs> of series <laughs> movie, The Newsroom, the Canadian TV show. Yep. Had a uh, had an end of show movie with um, no, he wasn't. In, he, David Cronenberg is in one of the episodes of the show. He's not in the in the movie at the end. But remember the Henderson kids movie? No, it's called Romper Stomper. That <laughs> <laughs> <It> was Mull. <laughs> anyway, time to wrap things up. It's about fucking time. You know we are aware that. Every single week, there are new people that do listen to this show. So hopefully, if you're one of them, you're going to stick around and become loyal listeners. And uh, if you don't know already, we do keep the party going on our social media. So go ahead and find us, Good Movie Monday, on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Subscribe and definitely click that little uh, little bell at the top for notifications. We drop two videos every week, plus other stuff like giveaways and trivia and a whole bunch more. And don't forget to check us out on Letterboxd, where uh, all the films we talk about on the show are listed, so you don't need to go back and listen again. <laughs> this is a slash. This uh, is a write them down as we're talking. Fucking doozy of an episode for you to find posters for all these. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I think I'm, I wanted to change tack 
on the letterbox and just do the movies we actually talk about. <laughs> not all too much. the there's like 172 <laughs> films in one of them. Like, it would make my job a lot easier. Yeah, just the main <laughs> ones that we talk about. Okay. You got to you got to have to you will have to pull out a pen and paper and write down the other ones. Very short list. Yeah, yeah seven, <laughs> seven, seven to ten movies an episode. All right, we'll do that from now on. Um, huge thank you to everybody who plays part in making this show happen every week. Those people would be Guillermo, Jared, Adam, Joe, Chad, James. Big shout out to Tia, who helps us behind the scenes. Ben, it's great to have you back at the desk, man. We've had a couple of shit-ass weeks of lockdown and Zoom recordings. Yes. Yeah, it's, uh, no, it's great to get out of the house. and uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I should... We, you're gonna get in trouble. I'm not wearing a mask. Is that? But you're allowed to have you you you. We were always allowed to have sex guests. Well, you, but I was just outside of the the five and then ten and then even. Oh no, I was in the twenty five k, but not within the ten k well, limit. But the um, face mask rule is: if you don't have a face mask, so long as you've got copious amounts of facial hair, oh, I'm set. Yeah, exactly, man. That is like a that's a Wuhan on your face right there, mate. It's gotten a little bit out of control. <laughs> the reason I haven't the reason I haven't uh, trimmed it though is because I tried to, and it, I don't know if you can see. I tried to like a couple of months ago, and I accidentally took like a divot out of the back <laughs> of the side it's of like the beard. Like a jackass sketch. <laughs> and I, uh, I was like, it's like you know when you shave off part of your eyebrow when you're a kid <laughs> fiddling around with your dad's razor, and you're like, oh, whoops, and you're like, should I just shave the whole of it off? Because it will look weird if it's Hang only on. half. No, no you one. never, never shave the whole of it off. No one can relate to that. No. That's just you, <laughs> just me. <laughs> never shave the whole of it off. So I had this divot in the beard. So while I'm trying to grow the divot back into the rest of it, the rest of it has just gone crazy. Well, if you if you tune into tomorrow's video uh, on our uh, <laughs> YouTube and uh, you'll Facebook see. pages, you'll get a you'll get a copper look at that. But um, to you who was like listening, that. thank you very much for uh, another week. We're signing off today with an absolute classic from one of the greatest made-for-TV movies of them all, The Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour. So this one is Your Mother Should Know. See you next week, See everyone. you next week. <laughs>